Hi, welcome to another episode of R-Rated Christianity. Nico and George here. Sorry that we started a little late, later than we wanted to start. Some technical difficulties. I mean, I don't think people really understand what really goes on behind the scenes to do something like this. So I really want to just honor Saulo and Tyler and and his wife, Edith, that helps us host this here. And and just a lot of technical difficulties. When you're trying to do something good, you're always going to get resistance in your life, whether it's spiritually or in society. So that's just the way it is. But I'm honored to be here with with George today. And thank you for joining us. We hope you're going to be blessed from this conversation. As you know, in our rate of Christianity, we just want to have real, raw conversations that are relevant to your life. Hopefully to help you transform your life, to either train you up in the faith so you can be a, a better ambassador or a representative for God, but also just see that the, the effects of living a, a life the way God says to, and then bless others and, and love the way that God says to love, but also be able to defend why you're a Christian. I posed that question the first week. You're going to hear that often from us. Why are you a Christian? Can you give an answer? Does your life reflect that you are in love with Jesus, so to speak, or that you have a, a Christian worldview? And, and that's going to be challenged in this. But this week, I know George and I, we, we talked about we wanted to start off with, with questions we get. You know, we get questions offline or private questions or, or people that come up to us that have seen our conversations. And George and I have been teaching together and, and doing these type of apologetics and defense to the Christian worldview and real talks for years now in different churches and different groups. And like we said last time, our church hosts it many times and our pastor supports that. But but. Some people ask us if we, if we if we're if we're angry at the church, and when we talk about the big C church, what we mean by big C church versus a small C church, just so people know that we're on the same. My wife said that we have to continue to define terms here. A small C church is a, it's a particular church. Wherever you go to church, it's a Christian church. The big C church is the body of Christ. All the churches really fall under the umbrella, including the different denominations. There's different denominations under the umbrella of Christianity, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist, Catholic, Baptist, Pentecostal. Those are all denominations under the umbrella of Christianity. They're all Christians, right? But under that umbrella. And so the Big C Church is just that, the whole body of Christ. And and so we are not apologizing for pushing. We're not trying to attack the Big C Church or any one pastor or not, but we will speak truth, and Ephesians 4.15 says to speak the truth in love, and we constantly check our hearts when we do that, but to encourage and, and really want to push the church, I guess, to handle tough topics, to be able to train up your congregants, because it's a huge responsibility to have people under your, under your guidance and leadership, so they can defend the Christian worldview and understand why they stand with this guy named Jesus. Do they know why they're a Christian, right? Is that, is that fair enough to say, George? Enough. Yep. I mean, we're not a pot. So, I mean, I think that's hard to understand. Sorry, my, my daughter's texting me right now. She misses me. Um, but I think that's hard to understand. But, but I want to make that just crystal clear because, I mean, there's pastors that I'm sure are pissed off when they watch us and it's like, who the hell are these guys? You know, they don't have a church. Well, I don't need to have a church to know Jesus. I don't need to have a church, a four-wall church. I mean, because the church is not the four walls. That's a building. Church is where we gather in the name of Jesus, and, and, we, and we study, and we train up together. And, and that's, so, so we're having church right now. You, you, you're experiencing church right now. But, but we're not against the four walls. We go to a four-wall church also. But what I guess our point is we need to get the pulpits back. We need to get the pulpits back and encourage them to do their best to teach and give evidence to their congregants, just logical evidence, and handle tough questions and tough issues under the Christian worldview and and get those pulpits back to do that because I think that's important. We are called, as we said before, to set the culture, to influence the culture. We're not set to reflect the culture. We're not called to reflect the culture. And I think, and George thinks, and I think the evidence proves stands on its own, 
that the Big C Church as a whole, not every church, not every individual church, but the Big C Church as a whole has really fallen into the trap of reflecting the culture instead of lovingly, courageously, and logically, there's those three words, lovingly, courageously, and logically trying to set the culture by their defense of, of our worldview. Yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I have a large household, and uh, if there's one family member that's afflicted in some way, or misguided in some way, or hurting in some way, it affects all of us. And so, man, it's not unusual to call a family meeting um, and talk it through. So I, I kind of see it like, like this. You know, the church is our family, you know, and we're concerned, in love, deeply concerned. We've been given a very important mission, and that is to influence the culture, influence the thinking, where the culture is being divided or hurting, whatever that may be, and to represent the, the thinking of Jesus and, and find a way to apply that thinking to a particular problem. And we have to be effective in doing that. And so you and I talk a lot about data that we're seeing uh, from Christian and non-Christian sources that is troubling about our ability to influence the culture. And so we're just trying to respond to that. And And, 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 let me see this real quick, guys. You're going to see a little, there might be a little, look, George and I have, we're going to be out of town. And so we we recorded uh, some video uh, for next week, and we hope you'll still join in. Matter of fact, we'll, we'll be joining in with you from different locations. So, so we're going to talk about things that might overlap because we recorded one of them already. Because we, I'm, I'm, you know, we're leaving. My family's leaving tomorrow, and so you might hear some things overlap. Next week's going to be recorded, but I really hope that you that you still tune in because we're going to show next week for the first time how how to truly dissect a passage. We're going to be tackling John nine, and there's some juicy stuff, and we're going to really break it down yeah. almost right. line by line, which hopefully is a great model for you on how truly not just to read the Bible. When you go to a Bible study, I don't go to Bible readings. I go to Bible studies. That means you study. Well, study means what it means. I mean, you don't have to interpret that. Just look it up in the dictionary. Study means to study. So next week, hopefully, we'll bless you because I think it's a good example of how to break it down and how you have to really understand or do at least a fairly good job of understanding culture, history. When you're reading the Bible, you can't read it from a 2019 perspective. You have to read it from a first century perspective, understanding the culture at that time. Is that yep. fair to say? That's very fair to say. And so that's 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 next week. And so yep. we, we need to understand that. But we talk this it's a great week. great topic, man. Well, it is a good. George gets all wacky. Man, it's a great topic. Yep. You'll see him get all worked up next week. And he does a good job with it next week. And so hopefully you'll be blessed by it. And hopefully it can be a model for you going forward on, on how to read the Bible and study the Bible moving forward in other passages. But... You know, as, as advertised, we wanted to talk about a concept called closet Christianity or being a closet Christian. And I know that's been used derogatorily in the past for, for other lifestyles, but, but it's, it's interesting how it's been applied or it's something that is very relevant and very real in the Christian worldview. Uh, I always start this conversation, I'm going to punt it to George here in a second because we have to ask ourselves why. I was at a, I was at a, a conference early on when I was uh, first elected as DA and I was in Brooklyn. And so I was on a panel discussion about a conviction integrity unit thing, the uh, uh, unit that we started. And I, I don't know what I said. I mean, I don't think about it. I, just, I either said, God willing, or, or I'll see God willing, or, or God bless you, or thank you, God bless you, you know, something real, just the way I am. Anybody knows me knows that those are common phrases because I really mean them. And then, and then literally, I don't, don't want to embarrass her, you wouldn't know her anyway, but she leaned in and goes, oh, you're a Christian. 
And I didn't. I wasn't a smart ass. I didn't go like, why? Yeah, why? Why are you whispering? I mean, you know, what a dumbass, right? If I would have done that, they still have those. Stupid. Yeah. Still have. The hell's that? No, but but and and I just very just plainly nonchalantly just said, yes, ma'am, I am. And she goes, oh, so am I. And I really, I mean, everything in my flesh, I had to fight to say, you know, why the f are we? I'm trying not to drop the f bomb on here, but why why are we whispering? Why 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 do we have to whisper? It doesn't make any sense. Yes, yes, ma'am, I am. I'm a Christian, and and it, but but it just made me realize. I mean, who gives a crap what people think? I mean, I'm a Christian, and sure. and and you're Islamic, and you're Buddhist, and you're Hindu, and you're atheist, and you're agnostic, and you're Shintoist, and you're Taoist. I mean, you, you're a, whatever secularist, a humanist, a universalist. I mean, there's all kinds of is out there now. I'm a Christian, and and we have to get to a point, George, as we've said before, and we're going to continue, and you're going to hear this over and over again to make a case for why we believe the Christian worldview um, is the way to go, to persuade people to live life that way. Because we can't all be right. You know, we live in a world where, oh, yeah, everyone's right. Your reality is not my reality. Your truth is not my truth. What's true for you is not true for me. That's fine. That's called an opinion and a perspective, and that's fine. But not all truth is the same. N- not all worldviews are the same, and they can all be wrong. No doubt. Christianity can be wrong, and everybody can be wrong, but we can't all be right. And so truth is truth, and we have to be able to follow that, right, George? And so I, I think it leads us to a conversation about the statistics about Christianity in, in the world today, or at least for sure in the United States, and then this concept of whispering about your faith. I mean, it's okay if God whispers in my ear because I'm close enough to hear him as I will talk about. You'll hear me talk about Mark 5 in, in the future again, but, and I love that passage, but but we, if we have to whisper yeah. why, and I don't understand why, George. And so let's, I think we should talk a little I, bit about some of these statistics that we're going to touch on in, in, in another episode as well. But I think it's relevant to talk about it now because it leads us to a discussion of, of being a closet Christian. I, I always like to understand why. You know, like, why are you afraid? Because I, the, the whispering implies that you're afraid of being heard, obviously. Mm-hmm. Why? What is it? What specifically? What do you conjure up in your mind? What sort of scenario pops up that makes you really uncomfortable to the point of whispering? I, I mean, I, I'd love to know. And, and well, I've asked people of that, that question. We should ask variety, the audience too. Yeah, you get a variety of answers. But I mean, I, I, we don't want to play stupid either. We realize that we're in a culture that's not particularly embracing Christianity today. Um, I think when the culture realizes what Christianity really stands for— that, That's the key. Then, then there is an embracing. Um, but it's, it's a catch-22, right? If we're afraid and we're whispering and the culture doesn't know what Christianity is about, then that doesn't help either. So we're kind of feeding into the problem. We're feeding into the hostility by not revealing the grandeur and, and the relevance of Christianity. So I always like to understand, what is it that's making you queasy? Well, we should ask the audience that now. I mean, please, this is going to be one of those interactive shows. We're going to, look, we're going to... Yeah, careful what you ask for, right? Well, I mean, look, I'm not a webcaster, podcaster. Like I've said this, I said this in episode one. I'm a, I'm a child of God. I'm a husband. I'm a daddy. I was a crappy politician. But, 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 but I'm not a podcaster, and neither is George or whatever this is, webcasting. So we're going we're gonna to stumble through this, and we're going to grow and learn and take suggestions. So this is episode. Yeah, this sure. is this is what it is. This is R-rated Christianity. So we're going to have R-rated conversations. We're going to have R-rated topics, and that's just the way it is. You should have R-rated prayers because there's nothing that you're going to freak God out about. But why do you think, why do some of you think that, that, that they're Christians that are embarrassed? 
that either you're embarrassed of, of, of calling yourself a Christian altogether or you pull out your cafeteria tray as we talked about Saulo you and I on ep- I think it was the first episode shit I don't remember but but and, and we start picking and choosing and making our own we put our own plate together on what we're going to eat about the Christian worldview and there's a reason behind that I mean I'm, I'm curious to hear what some of the people out there saying and it might be a self-reflection I'll tell you for me it was in 2010 the first time I ran for office it was like number one I had to analyze what I truly believed I mean, I mean, I, I think many Christians, and I'll start with this, think if I can't defend every word in the Bible, then I'm screwed. They're going to tell me I'm full of shit. Your faith sucks. You know, you don't understand it. Aha! Christianity is, is, is a fraud because you're a crappy Christian. And the example that I've used before, as you know, just because I don't know a calculus problem, no one can say, aha, calculus sucks. It's not true. No, I'm just not good at it. But somebody has the answer. And I think, I think it's, this, it's this hypocrisy or this, hey, one strike, you're out. If you don't know everything about the Christian worldview or the Bible, then your, your faith sucks. And if we can't give that answer, then we, I think that's the standard that society is setting on many Christians. That's my opinion. And you don't have to have all those answers. Revelation says the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony, your walk, your, your, not, not your own truth, but your expression of God's truth and how it's affected your life well, is a wonderful I, you're place You're not to start. an anomaly. I mean, you're actually right in the mainstream of what the data is saying. <laughs> there's, a, there's a spectrum of reasons. I mean, I want to hear what people are saying and seeing where they fall on that spectrum. But the spectrum is either I have no idea what the hell I believe, mm-hmm. therefore that makes me uneasy, and that's understandable. Um, and then the other spectrum is, I mean, I know what the church is maintaining. I just don't know how the hell it's relevant. So on, on one end, we're, we're clueless as farts in the wind. And then on the other end, we can kind of count down basic positions on certain things. Jesus, the nature and character of God, sin, maybe, maybe some, some denominational truths, depending on, on someone's background. But then we, there's a gap between all this stuff and how it applies to anything. This is what we were talking about, to be a really good apologist all of this rationally defender. compelling. Apologist means defender. Right? Yeah, the, to, to, to be a good advocate there you go. for the gospel. You can't just know what the gospel says or have a sense of what it says. You have to make it subjectively engaging. There's got to be emotional appeal to it. What does it mean in your life? How, how does yeah. it apply to me? Most people is like, okay, now how the hell does this apply to me? How is this going to make my marriage better, my, my right. life better, That's my right. children better when I go through what, I, what we call yeah. in our men's Bible study the shit storms in life? How do, how do we deal with that better? I mean, it's real. And, and what, what attracted me to this, to this guy, this first century guy, Yeshua, Jesus, was he hung around some broken ass people. I mean, you've really got to understand sure what did. a tax collector was back in the first century or, or with these, how fishermen lived their lives or, or the prostitutes and, and the people that he around, the lepers, the outcasts, everybody else. The society didn't see the value of somebody. Like, you suck. You have no value. We're judging you. We're playing God and you have no value. They didn't think about the Imago Dei, right? The image of God in all of us, whether we believe it or not or know it. And then here comes this guy that, that didn't stand out physically. He didn't. He wasn't a white guy, Hispanic, black. He was, a, he was a Jew, a first century Jew. I mean, we said this in another episode. You're going to hear stuff over and over again, guys, just because we don't know who's listening or not and what episode you follow. But Judas had to have a sign for the guards when they picked him up in the, in the garden, right, before he was crucified. He said, the one that I kiss is him. He, di- he didn't have an Instagram. He didn't have a Facebook. 
He wasn't going on tour with some of these life coaches and on the jets and all this bullshit. I mean, he didn't have sound bites out there and someone tweeting him out and all this other crap. He was just a, a, a look. He wasn't a regular guy, but he looked just like an everyday Jew. Sure did. Living a life. And, and they even said, like, isn't that Joseph and Mary's kid, the carpenter? Mm-hmm. What? What the hell are you talking about? I, it's, it's so real when you read the Bible, right? That attracts me to this guy. And then the bottom line is this. For me, this is where it started for me. If you have a guy that predicted his own death and resurrection and then pulled it off, you better wake your ass up and start listening to what he says. I mean, that's just for me, objectively. Forget about, it wasn't a subjective, I, like I said in episode one, I wanted it to be right. I really wanted the opposite. And where I was at being a functioning angerholic after my brother was murdered and being pissed off at God or the idea of God, I, I believed in him. I just didn't know him. And so I didn't want, but I, I just really started looking at the, the gospels and more importantly, Jesus's life and worked my way both ways, right? To the old and the new Testament further. But I started with Christ and I don't think most Christians can do that, George. And, and, and a lot of pastors aren't teaching it that way. It's, it's a lot of motivational speeches. Do you believe that? Or do you no, think again, I, I come back, you're, what you're presenting is a reflection of what the data is, is telling us regardless of whatever the source may be. Well, let's just talk about and, that data just well, a little bit. We, I think it's important. We mentioned important. it briefly last time, but I mean, whether you look at, at Pew Research Forum or whether you look, look at Barna Research Group um, or, or Langer Research Associates, for instance, regard, or, or even Gallup, regardless of the sort of common, well-respected data sources, there seems to be a shying away from Christianity. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, you know, at the 35,000-foot level, there is a sharp decrease in what people are willing to say they affiliate themselves with. We see tens of millions, if you convert those percentages into hard numbers. That, that begs a question, why? So there's a trend. Regardless of how you look at it, there's a trend. Whether you're asking Christians or non-Christians, non-Christians prevent, present over, you know, sort of their overview of how they perceive Christians. And then Christians present their overview of their experience as Christians. And, and when, you, when you put them together, it kind of makes sense. And that's where this, this spectrum falls out of that, of where you have people who really don't know what they believe. And, and over here, they, they know what, they, what, what, the, you know what the basic doctrines of the church are. Yeah, but they are, don't know why. The basic holdings of the church, or at least the basic positions, because I think the problem is we don't have an understanding of basic Christian doctrine today. But maybe the church's positions on certain things whether it is theology or whether it is, let's say, behavior. And, they, and then they say, what, what the hell do I do with this? How does this apply? How mm. do I use any of this to yeah. make a difference in my life? And then, and then how do I present it? And then that last part, I think, is really interesting. How do I make this relevant and actionable to the culture? How do I do that? Mm. And that seems to me an opportunity for the church to answer that question. How can we equip people because some people may have may have some understanding, may have knowledge, but they don't they don't know how to present it. They don't know how to work it through. And I and I would submit that it's because the leadership of the church today, generally speaking, isn't isn't answering that question, isn't providing resources to do that, isn't really equipping the flock to do it. And I think that's unfortunate. Well, and we have to think of the next generation. Look, I tell you, I, I said this I'm, again. I can't say this enough. I get very passionate about it. There's a lot of things I experienced when I was a prosecutor and, and, and the cases, 55,000 cases here in Bear County. It's Anybody that's not from here, it's spelled Bexar, but it's pronounced Bear. But, but 
and, and ugly, depravity. I, I saw the depravity of the, of the human condition without God, the, the, the depra- absolute depravity when you don't have a moral compass. But nothing kept me up at night, <clears throat> like the idea of the world that we may leave back to our children and our grandchildren. That literally keeps me up. It, it keeps me up studying. It keeps me up trying to refine a craft of, of presenting, of defining, of advocating for. It keeps me up. And I think that, that the churches need to get back into that fight and, and quit being worried about being called names. And again, so it's not an attack on the church last week. I really want to be clear because I'm friends with many pastors. And God bless you for taking on that responsibility, but then, then take on that responsibility. And, and, and go there because when, when the congregations are looking at you for not, not a, as I talked about it last week, not an energy drink sermon, not an, a sermon that you drink and you're all pumped up because there's great praise and worship. And I love praise and worship. I just think it's a, a way to honor God and, and the Holy Spirit gets invited in. It's just wonderful. It's like, it's just, it's just I love praise and worship. So do my kids. But, but then when you walk away, and, 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 and you're going to get hit. You walk away, and like I said, it's like a fight. You know, you, the round starts on great, and then boom, you get cheap-shotted and knocked on your ass. But does it wear off in four or five, that five-hour energy sermon, right? Or is it something that truly you drink and makes your body healthier? That, are you making your spirit healthier, or are you just masking something within it with, with, a, with a bullshit energy drink that's going to wear off? Because it's not, it's not organic and not insincere. And so for me, I want to see organic change. That Romans 12, 2 change, that renewed mind that we talked about uh, last episode. And that's important. And, 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 we, and we can't do it. There's nobody, regardless of what we like, you know, we, we know we like Robbie Zacharias and Josh McDowell and some of these other people, these apologists that are, that are going into colleges, that are trying to meet in the front lines. They're, but it's the pulpit's job. The pulpits have to go there because the families go back and they influence the kids. And the statistics we talk about next week and we talked about a little bit last week, when, when 75 to 80% of our children, our young adults, go off to college and then walk away from the Christian worldview, again, they go in the closet about their faith. They're closet Christians. We have to ask ourselves why. When only a third come back out of that 75 to 80%, that's a concern. When, when only when the when the Christian worldview has has dropped from seventy eight point whatever you said last week at six percent to to seventy point four whatever it is in seven years and that's an old stat that sucks. Mm-hmm. There's nothing good about that. Now we can bury our head in the sand and say I'm going to keep you know singing praises and I'm, I'm cool within my four walls. That's fine, I guess, for you. But that's not our calling. And that's not the Great Commission. That's not well, Matthew 28. What's concerning about it is when they distill it down, the, you know, sort of a vast majority of the individuals who are coming out of a Christian affiliation and going into the unaffiliated, what's called the nuns, yeah, we talked about a that. good chunk of that are, uh, you know, over a third, are millennial males who have a Christian background. And, and the answers, when you break them down, and they did what was called a, a recontact survey. I mean, there was so much data in there. It was 35,071 participants between uh, 2007 and 2014. I mean, it's rich with data. And they, they have tons of categories of questions. And so if, if you have the intestinal fortitude, you can kind of dig down and, and kind of break answers down into buckets, which I've done. And, of course and, you have. No, but I mean, it's, but, <laughs> of course you have. But I think we should all do that. I think we should. No, not, but we should not all do that. We have you. Well, I mean, I don't Google things. I have Rougeau things, by the way. You know? What good does it do to say, "Hey, we lost eight percent in seven years," right? Hey, that sucks. Oh well. I mean, it'd be useful to find yeah. out why, right? So what we see is that the the vast majority of the answers 
are not the kinds of answers that I think the organized church, as you call it, the big C church, assumes it to be. If you ask the average pastor why people leave a church, they'll say something like, well, you know, they, they think Christians are unfriendly, or maybe they're hypocritical, or maybe they're dogmatic, or they're judgmental. That's the number one answer. Oh, that's the whatever. judgmentalism. That's an issue 30 years ago. That train's left the station. That it's is good. not what people are saying. It's true. People are not leaving the church because we're not giving enough hugs. In fact, they're leaving the church because all we're giving is hugs. The reason they're like the, the reason they're that? sort of the, re- the reason they're not engaging with the church is because the church is really isn't engaging. Our precious family is not engaging, mm. and that you know that that wounds me. And if you if you drill down into particulars, it's mostly issues having to do with intellectual barriers to the faith. Yep. And and if you get down to the coochie coo issues, well, I left because I met a mean Christian. It's only about four to six percent. Now, I'm not saying that doesn't matter. I mean, under no circumstances is it appropriate to be a jackass to somebody. But at the same time, that's that's not the thrust of the issue. Mm-hmm. The vast majority of the issues are that we are preaching sermons Come on. that that generally speaking nobody cares about, hmm. and that are kind of relevant in the church. We're in our little echo chamber where I speak in vernacular you get and you appreciate and you speak back in the same vernacular, right? But outside of that, you've got people saying, what the hell did he just say? And and that's what's going on. We're trying to fix a problem that doesn't really exist Mm. because it seems to me, back to your original point, I think that we're suffering from a courage problem. We don't really want to address the real problem because when you address the real problem, you get real resistance. And when you don't address the real problem, you don't really get resistance, but you get to walk away with a feeling that you actually did something. Mm. And that's that's concerning. I mean, all that does is is prolong a period of deception. Well, George, you said a lot of things right there, and two things that stuck out of my mind. I hope some of it was coherent. No, no, of course it is, Dave. We just don't understand your verbiage sometimes. You're so smart. But but I'm I'm just teasing. No, but but you talked about the mind, that the issue is, is an issue of the mind, the logic. And we always well, Jesus say this. said it was well Matthew twenty two thirty seven said love the Lord your God with all your heart mind soul strength and as George and I say for some time now we believe in our humble opinion the church has forgotten that the mind is a tool of worship but he said that after he modeled what it was like to use the mind so he said hey go do something but what I love about Jesus and this is what what I've heard you say better than, than I've ever said, that we follow a savior who's not a hypocrite. Amen. He tells you to do something right after he just models it. Yep. So start in verse 24, read on, and he's engaging the church. Hush. Jesus is engaging the church, and he's, he's engaging them rather forthrightly. What does that mean? Translate that. I, I mean, he's in their face, mm-hmm. and he's challenging mm-hmm. them. And this gets back to the principle in Luke twelve forty eight: to whom much is given, much, much is, is required. Yeah, much is so there's a level of... I mean, there's always kind of a, a grace and a graciousness with Jesus, but there's a level of abrasiveness He's pushing. That, that, that he has when he talks to church leadership relative to the, 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 the sort of the average mass, right? The average masses. Because he acknowledges that these people go around touting a certain level of learning. Well, he's not the so, cheerleader. He's the, he's, the, he's the football coach in the locker and, room. And sometimes. he challenges exactly right. how much do they really know. So I just wanted to add to that because, no, it, yeah, he, he says, worship me with everything you've got. The mind is indeed a tool of worship. Mm. 
By the way, recognize that. Jesus sees your mind, the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16, as a tool of worship, as a powerful tool with which to worship him. And when we worship the Lord, we break down strongholds. The, The best way to argue uh, against an idea is with a better idea. And a stronghold right? is something that we have deemed in our mind unchangeable, right? Uh, when I was angry all the time, I had deemed unchangeable that I was going to be angry and I had a strong temper after my brother was murdered. And I said, and here's the phrase that you might hear a lot of people say, that's just the way I am. That's just the way it is. That's just the way. Now you are declaring something unchangeable. We want to get That's a stronghold. I, I, You're in bondage. I think years And I ago, did it for years. I, I, I'm I heard it on the radio I mean, years ago. It must have been 15, 20 years ago. And I, uh, I, I want to I state that for people because I think it's important. You're bringing it up, and I want to flesh it out. It's a mindset. A stronghold is a mindset that declares unchangeable that which is against the will of God. Mm. And so you're not going to know. You could be going along thinking everything's fine, and you feel like you're stuck in a rut, and nothing ever changes in a particular area of life. And it's because you're deceived. We are all deceived to some extent, but you might think your deception is great doctrine. We have all kinds of cautions about that in the New Testament, all over the place. I mean, we're, 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 uh, we're cautioned to be careful that we don't embrace false doctrine. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 10. Uh, Titus chapter 1, verses 9 through 16. Mm. In most of those cases, they're talking to the church. People don't read Titus enough. So church people and those that aren't church people, we hope that someday you do want to read Titus. It's, it's only three. Well, it's, Titus It's a cares. short book. Yes. Read Titus, man. No one preaches on Titus anymore. So pastors, do some homework on Titus and preach on Titus, right? <laughs> I mean, sure. What the hell Jesus are we doing? cares right? about... It's a forbidden book in their mind. Huh? It's a forbidden book. Yeah, man. Yeah, who t- reads Titus for devotionals? But you should. Jesus cares about the character book. of his leaders. Mm-hmm. He does. Yep. He wants them to model the, his heart, a heart of, of, of burning concern for those who are lost and who are living life apart from him. But he also wants people with sharp minds. He wants people who understand what they believe. But the secular world today, and, and, and you say, oh, you Christians, you guys checked in your mind and at the door. Right, exactly. I mean, and again, I said it that's, last week. That's I mean, the general reputation. I, I would love to have a conversation with a Bill Maher and just, and I mean, not even on camera, off camera, because if you can get someone like him to understand the, logically, the logical consistency of the Christian worldview and of Jesus, I think he could be a powerful force. I mean, and really bless people with his talents of persuasion and funniness and sarcasm and all the stuff that he does that he is talented to do. I don't know. I think he makes a lot of money calling Christians dumbasses, and I think as long as the money keeps rolling in, bring it on. Well, he's made plenty so, of money. He can show stop me a behavior, me. and I'll show you a reward system. Go ahead. Well, how, look at him drop that bomb, and that's true, though, man. That's a well, talk in itself. Saying, I mean, I've heard all the money, baby. No, it's true. But I'm, I, all, all I'm saying is the church needs to build up. What is causing Christians to be embarrassed of, of the Christian worldview? I mean, so, and it needs to be handled properly. We, we talk about this all the time, 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to show yourself approved to God, not to the world. A worker, meaning you have to work at this, who is, key phrase, not embarrassed. That's a huge phrase. Not embarrassed to properly handle the word of truth. Properly. Not with an agenda. Not with your own. Not with your opinion. George, we talked about this last week. 
exegesis versus eisegesis. Are we reading it out of the book, meaning we're, we're expositorily exposing what the book really meant and what it was meant to do and what Jesus meant by it and the influence in that book? Or are we reading into the book and make it what you want to? You're not supposed to make God's word into a pretzel. He wasn't doing yoga when he, when he influenced that book, and so you're not supposed to twist your body up. It's just re, re, present it for what it is, but you have to work at it. Especially with the resources. And I don't think the, the church resources. is doing that. I, I, well, um, we're, like you said, I think we're, if we're doing it, we're doing it in the closet. Uh, it's just, well, it's just not, it, it's just not getting out there. Um, we are again addressing problems that either don't exist or are having a minimal impact. We're, we're, we're answering questions nobody's asking. Mm. That's what we're, that's what we're that, that's what we're doing. We don't want to answer the questions that are being asked because there could be considerable implications. To those answers, and so we might piss off a bunch of people. Well, yeah, well, and happy people are good tithers. Who was right? No, I mean, I am generalizing here. I'm, did I'm, they say that? Yeah. So the, the what tithing issue came up. Yes. What did they say? They said that the reason why the churches are not teaching, uh, you know, sound doctrine or pushing, you know, pushing from the pulpit is because of tithing. Look, this is a, this is a reputation that we continue to carry along. Not, not also engaging, but it's about social acceptance and how much money. Look, here's the reality. We're not trying to encourage people not to tithe. No, not I at mean, all. I mean, Jesus and his 12 yahoos, I mean, no one was working in those three years. It's not like they were you know, building stuff and fishing still. I mean, so somebody was, was sponsoring, was, was helping, sure. was, was providing for the ministry. They, they, they ate, they had clothes on. And so, so look, the, the, the church is a business, but when, a, when the business becomes your idol, meaning that that becomes your distraction from Christ being your first love or your focus. You can't be in fear to to, to piss somebody off. I, I think it was Pastor Chan that said, I said, if you're, I think it was him, so I don't want to give him credit or, or not give him credit. I want to be accurate, but somebody else said it, it wasn't my ass, I promise you. He said that if you're talking about the Bible and really having a, a real conversation about biblical principles and Christ, and, and someone's not getting offended, and it might be yourself, then, then you're being deceptive. Not that you're trying to offend people. That's not the goal. But you have not to risk offending people to have meaningful conversations. Forget about biblical things. I'm just talking about in life. I have to, you have to risk. When you look at the five things that will destroy a team, one of them is the fear of conflict. Sure. A buddy of mine, Matt, and I were talking about this for our own firm and for his business, even implied. And, and, and it's something that's taught to a lot of people. There's five areas that will destroy a team in business. And one of them, other than lack of trust, is out at the foundation, but is fear of conflict. If you're afraid of conflict, hear me out, not looking for conflict. I mean, we don't want you to be some dummy in the bullyard being a bully, saying like, who can I pick on next? I want to show how badass I am. No, it's just that, hey, let's have a conversation and you'll take a chance of offending me. I'll take it. But here in my heart, it's not done to do that. It's done so we can both grow and see where we're at to challenge each other. That's what this. That's what that's a free mind and free speech is all about, right? And that first came out in the Bible. No, that's exactly right. I mean, if anyone is acquainted with conflict, it was Jesus, <laughs> and I, and he was pretty equipped to talk about it. I mean, long before he came to the cross, he had had a number of attacks on his life. Uh, we're going to talk about John nine. You mentioned the chapter immediately preceding John nine ends with him running away, being escorted away. Because they're throwing stones at him and, and trying to kill him. And what did he do? Well, he offended the Jewish priestly caste. He challenged their the assumptions. Soci the societal standard. Sure. Yeah. He challenged their assumptions. Yep. He challenged assumptions that kind of kept the status quo going. 
And, and that's, look, that status quo has benefits. There are benefits to a status quo. Again, it, show me a behavior and I'll show you a reward system. Mm. If something is persisting, then there's a motivation that drives it. So what is that motivation? Mm. What is the motivation to the status quo? Fear, by the way, is a very powerful motivator. So if we're whispering, pain, right? I, I don't think you need a college degree to conclude that if there's a lot of whispering going on, there's, I don't know, you might find a little bit of fear in there. I don't know. I don't think I need a PhD to conclude that. So what are we afraid of? What exactly is it that we are afraid of? And I have my opinions, and I think the data bears some of this stuff out. But I'd like to, I'd like to know what people think about it. Well, that. I would like to know what people think about it. Well, that fear, that fear in 2 Timothy 1.7 says that we're not given a spirit of timidity, but a strength, sound mind, courage, and love, of course, is in there as well. So we're not, we're not called to be fearful people. Fearless people. That doesn't mean that we don't feel anxious or that we don't have doubts and, and that we don't question. None of that. That doesn't mean you walk in, you know, with and you know, like a bull in a china store. But 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 to to have so much fear that it controls you for you not to to stand for the truth and to be able to articulate why you believe in the truth. Well, it's not and, just and because I said so. That doesn't fly. There's a relationship to get back to this much touted verse in Second Timothy one seven of God has not given us a spirit of fear but a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of sound mind, Mm -hmm. a clear thinking mind that processes information, correct information, correctly. And there's a relationship between not having fear and thinking clearly. Yes. And so fear... fear Scared stiff, right? You hear that phrase, scared stiff? It happens all the time. We're seeing that in... I think we're seeing that in the data. And the example you gave of, of, you know, the courthouse example, when somebody was whispering... Again, a relationship between being afraid and, and having a lack of knowledge or being uncertain about what it is that you believe mm. or even being uncertain about what it is you should believe. Uh, you may not know what you believe. Um, you may not be able to articulate it, uh, but you, you, could know, you could know what Jesus believes or what Jesus says and think that it's irrelevant. Um, anyway, huge spectrum, but I think fear is... is is relevant in, the, in that entire spectrum. And, 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 and mental fatigue, because it takes, right? There used to be this boxing gym I used to train at that it said, you know, fatigue makes cowards of men, right? You could be the better fighter, but if you don't have the conditioning, the training, we talked about First Timothy 4 last week or the week before, about that physical training is good for many things, but, but spiritual training and holiness is good for all things. And I, and I believe that we are spiritually fatigued and it makes a coward of you. So if you can't give an answer, you're coward. I can't answer every question. It, it makes you fearful, which you're scared stiff and then you don't do anything. That's a problem. And I think it's caused many churches, not all, so please, I'm going to keep on saying that because you get somebody that gets their, their chonas well, in a wad. We have to We have to talk. I mean, just we're just sure. talking. I mean, it's not saying it to be any, any way. But then it causes some pulpits to present a grandpa God. We've talked about this in our sure. studies many times. Right. Instead of Daddy God, right. see, the guy that raised me, um, M- Michael LaHood Senior, my pop, my mom, somebody took over their bodies because <laughs> yeah. those SOBs are not the people that raised me. The way they treat my grand, their grandkids, my kids, there's like they're just different. I mean, what, I mean these people, have, somebody commandeered their minds. They raised their dose of love. Yeah. Something changed on them. And so grandpa and grandma, you know, they get coochie-coo, we love you, and my parents were correct, don't get me wrong, but they're way different than they raised us three guys. And then they give them back to us, right? And so we want (laughs) grandpa God, we don't want daddy God, because true daddy God, a daddy, as I said with my daughter with jujitsu, doesn't care about your happiness. 
Let that sink in. A good parent, mommy or daddy, either one, should not care about their kid's happiness. <coughs> they should care about their kid's maturity. Let that sink in. If I care about my kid's happiness, then I will be at their beck and whim, and their happiness and their emotions do this, and that means they won't go to school, they won't eat anything, they'll eat nothing but chocolate cake, they'll engage in things they shouldn't because they, they, we want to worry about making them happy versus their maturity. So me caring about their maturity means I tell them no means I correct them, means I discipline them, means I make them do things that they don't want to do and it might push them and, 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 and hurt them temporarily, challenge them, stress them out because I know someday I have to prepare them for them not being around me because Papi can't be there forever. And so I need to mature them and that's what we talked about, James 1, 2 through 4, right? So you can be mature. Perseverance is used to mature and so you will lack nothing. So maturity is the goal of a parent. It may not be the goal of a grandparent. And so churches out of fear and through this idea of being a closet Christian and trying to manipulate that and change it for society, we present grandpa dad versus a loving dad that wants you to be mature. My, uh, I, I, man, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Michael Horton, which we've talked about on a couple on yeah. other venues, Michael Horton wrote a great book called Christless Christianity, Uh which is, I think he follows up by calling it the alternative gospel of the American church. Hmm. And this, is, th this yeah. is the notion of converting Jesus into our version of Jesus. And so it's, a, it's, it's kind of a, a weird approach or a weird view of idolatry, hmm. where uh, it's not that we worship some other God, but we worship God our way. And this is, this is it seems to me, was the, the scandal, and I talked about this earlier, earlier tonight, at another venue, but it's kind of relevant to what we're talking about here, I think centrally relevant, is that we, we end up morphing Jesus into a convenient view of him. So that at the end of the day, we say, hey, I'm, I, I follow Jesus. I mean, I believe in Jesus. But you've got this veneer, this, right, this veneer of religiosity, this veneer of Christianity. But at the center, you've got this kind of alternative gospel that really sort of converts Jesus into a life coach. Where he's coming along for the ride, yep. but not leading the ride. He's in the car. He's not driving. <laughs> but at, at the risk of quoting Carrie Underwood, he's not at the wheel. Yeah. Right? So. What's wrong uh, with poor Carrie? Was, was that lame? I wasn't trying to do that. No, but, but, um, what did she do to you? But that, that's a big problem, man, because right. it's, it's insidious. You get the sense, you can kind of feel good about the fact that you're. I mean, you're calling on Jesus, you're quoting Jesus, you're, um, you know, you're, you can call yourself a Christian, and it's, it's almost kind of an anesthetic. It, it doesn't, and does this it, it lead, kind of insulates does, you from the truth, I'm right? It's these, it's these random quotations <laughs> from Scripture, but you're quoting it on your terms. Mm -hmm. you're, you're taking stuff out of context, quoting it as these sort of feel-good uh, passages, but they're disjointed from one another. So the overall central theme of taking up the cross is very conveniently lost. And it's all about the cross. You take the cross out of it, and the entire gospel and gonna, collapses. And, and, and there's going to be a series the, yeah, on right. that. Yeah, right. And the cross is about conflict. Yep. It's about rejection. Yep. This was the central theme to the entire book of Matthew. And it's interesting that Jesus directed a lot of it to church leadership. I mean, he worked tires, tirelessly uh, throughout the entire gospel to differentiate between those who are truly attached to him versus those who are really, really good pretenders. 
And this is a caution for all of us, right? We're told to examine ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, I think verse 5. We're, we're, we're told to constantly examine ourselves to see if that which we claim to believe is really kind of working itself out in our everyday actions, mm. uh, starting with our boldness. Um, I would encourage people to look up the American Faith and Culture Institute. This is the only study like it that I've seen. It's a sample size of around 6,000 people. And it was done, I think, in February of 2017. And it asks a very interesting question. Do you think and act biblically? Mm. And what they did is they asked 40 questions, and they broke break it down into 20 questions addressing belief, whether you hold basic Christian beliefs, and 20 questions about behavior. Yeah. And, and the, the results, I think, were fascinating. Coming out of the gate, you had about 46% of people saying, absolutely. Now, that's a lame number to begin with. 46, I mean, who wants to score a 46 on an exam? Um, Not George Arujo, I promise you that. But 46% out of the gate, thinking, I, I, I think, and act biblically. And they tested that. And after working through these, these 20 questions about belief, like what's the nature and character of God? Talk to me about some basic Christology. Like what do you believe about Jesus? How about some basic theology? Uh, the Trinity. You know, talk to me. Define God in biblical terms, for instance. So basic theological talk, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, etc. Um, theological doctrine about salvation or justification or sanctification, which we'll get on, uh, get on to later on. Um, and then they ask questions about belief, lying, cheating. These are, this is low-hanging fruit, man. And so, you know, by the time they got down to the end, they concluded that 10%, 10% actually think and act biblically. 4% of millennials think and act biblically. And that's ages 18 to 34. Okay, this is, I don't know if this came up on the, video, on the, on the show that we, we pre-recorded or last week, because I don't remember, so I will have to remind me. But this is where we, the frustration comes in, where we want to encourage and hopefully motivate the church leaders and the pulpits to address this. How is that okay? How is it okay when you look at data? I mean, he's a scientist by trade. I'm a trial lawyer. I look at evidence. He looks well, at I'm data. I'm an analyst. How, no, but, well, but how is that okay, George? And this is where it comes across like we're attacking the church. We're not. We're, we're, we're lovingly, although it comes across passionately, and I think we're modeling Jesus because, I mean, not that we're perfect, not that we end all be all is with Nico and George. Who the hell are we? We're just two guys that have studied and know, right. not as well as he has, but know the Bible and study it and properly handle the word of truth and will encourage brothers and sisters to do the same because it matters. It has impact on your children, your grandchildren, your neighbor, yourself, your marriage, your relationships, everything. It really does. And when you have 10% that believe in Overall. the Bible— and of Christians, not of just people. Yeah, I don't want to throw... I mean, you, can't, I mean, I, you can't talk the Bible to a non-believer. I kind of stopped after millennials, but I'm not trying to throw millennials under the bus. That's age groups typically well, eight, 18 to 34 years of age. Uh, but it doesn't get much better. Uh, 7% of age groups 30 to 49. That's me. Right? I mean, that's, that's pretty lame. And when you get to 50 to 64, it, it climbs up to a whopping 15%. Of Christians believe in the bibl right. biblical worldview. Who think and act biblically. Yeah. And then the highest number caps out at about 17%. That's 65 years of age and older. That's freaking lame, man. I, and, and we're going to change the world. Wow. Right? With 10%. It's, I don't know, man. It's like a chef that doesn't eat his own food. I mean, what the hell are you doing? You mean you're a chef that doesn't eat your own food? 
It's like, my food's good, but I won't eat it. Why? Because it sucks. I mean, why wouldn't you eat your own food if you're claiming to be of the Christian worldview? I mean, and if churches don't want to sell it, they don't want to sell and teach people why they should buy this and why they should ingest the word and live it out. And the freedom and the restoration, I mean, I just, I can't get over the way it transformed my life. When, I, when you look at the pre, <clears throat> the days before I, I, I tripped over Jesus and, and studied him, and then after. And, and, and after, some, in many ways, was, was just as hard, if, harder in different ways as Saul and I spoke about than pre, but, but there's rewards for that. And, and, and you have to be persuaded by something if you're going to be attacked for it. I mean, people go to war over a football team. They go to war over, over politics, over a candidate. They go to war over whatever worldview, over an issue or a topic. And, 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 and they don't even do it nicely. I mean, shit, if you're, not, if you're not calling someone names and disagreeing with them, then you're not doing it right. I mean, that is ridiculous that we can't just have com- passionate conversations. I'm not talking about not emotional, but passionate conversations. But bring your best foot forward. Bring your evidence. And if you can convince me, I always go into a conversation with the presumption that maybe there's something I will learn. You have to. I mean, I mean, I mean even if you don't, if, no matter who you're going to, just say, look, I got to go in open-minded. There may be something, a perspective, no matter how small, that I can learn. That's a humble spirit. It doesn't mean that you think you're going to get your mind changed. I mean, no one's going to convince me that Christ wasn't real and didn't do the things he did because I've seen the objective evidence, by the way. And again, I keep, we keep saying this over and over again. I gave you like an overview on week one when I talked about my journey to, to Christ and why I'm a Christian. And it's not because it feels good. It's because the evidence is true. And I looked at the evidence. And we're going to dissect that. But, but I, just, I just don't think there's enough of that com- conversation. I don't think the churches are talking strategically that way. And, 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 and you know, it's all about the Bible, Bible, Bible versus all about Jesus and the resurrection that led us to the Bible. Right? I mean, the Bible is not the reason why I'm a Christian. Jesus is the reason why I'm a Christian. That's right. The resurrection is what influenced me. And so when you start with Jesus and the resurrection, because without the resurrection, Paul said, you got a question? Then, then all of it's for shit. I mean, he didn't say shit, but he said dung. And that's, it means shit. If you look at the Greek, I mean, it does, right? Salo, I know. Time we check. Salo goes like this. Kaka, is that better for you? Or doo-doo or whatever for some popo. I mean, who gives, I mean, this is ridiculous. How corny do we get? I mean, we get corny. But I mean, it's just, it's just a vernacular. They said the Bible has been modified and twisted. I'm not religious at all, but I have my relationship with God. I don't need religion to have God. You guys delude God with your egos. Okay, with, with Jay? Yeah. Uh, thank Jay, I appreciate that. I mean, you throw a bomb, and, and I don't know what ego you're talking about, but you're entitled to your own opinion. You're just not entitled to your own facts. I mean, so that's just not the facts. I mean, I don't know anything here that's talking about an ego. The Bible has not been diluted unless someone has an agenda. You have to think about someone's agenda. We've studied the Bible. You have to study the Bible responsibly. I mean, in Hebrew, in Greek, culture, history. And so I I don't know if there's context behind that. And Jay, if you'll private message me, I'll talk to you. Uh, I'll meet with you. And I mean that. And I've made that offer to many people, and Salo knows this, and not one person, so maybe Jay will be the first well, person. Jay, Jay, I think we to- want to practice what we preach, and we don't want to answer a question <laughs> we think you're asking or a comment we think you're making. I, I'm not really sure what you mean by that, and I'd like to understand a little bit better. Um, but in terms of, of modifying the Bible, it is interesting you say that, because <clears throat> the, the Bible is an ancient book, is one of the most well-attested, I would argue, in terms of an ancient work. It is the most well-attested ancient work on the face of the earth today. Mm. Um, this is unquestionable. 
You know, you can do a little exercise and go to the Center for the Study of New Testament Manuscripts as an example um, and check out all of the digitalized work that has been done to essentially uh, digitalize thousands. I'm talking in the order of around 25,000 ancient manuscripts dating back to the second century. Uh, multiple languages and multiple geographical regions. Mm-hmm. And the, the sort of continuity between the Gospels and between the New Testament books, for instance, is, is nearly bulletproof. This is not a conservative opinion. This is an opinion of virtually all liberal scholarship and certainly all conservative scholarship. The Bible is one of the most well-attested ancient works. And one of the reasons why it's well-attested is because of its reliability. So not only do we have the greatest number of ancient manuscripts virtually saying exactly the same thing, and we do, we and do the earliest in scholarship time. And acknowledges the that time. there are variants, <clears throat> meaning there are punctuational differences, there are grammatical differences. Description um, differences. Exactly. But they so. would call them, uh, there's a, a, a premier scholar on this, uh, Daniel B. Wallace, who presides over the Center for the Study of, of New Testament Manuscripts. He's a badass man. And, and Dr. Wallace uh, contends that the vast majority, and he has support from, from a number of other schol- uh, scholars, uh, Dr. Gary Habermas, for instance, I think is, is, an, is a premier one among them, but there are others. Dr. Craig A. Evans, I think, is, is also fantastic and has written prolifically on this. If you look at the sheer body of work in terms of manuscripts, the, the ancient copies dating back uh, to the second century, we, we see a, a, a virtually unchanging text. And so we can conclude with 99.9% certainty that it is absolutely not modified from the, from the original autograph. Right. And so if you take any other classical work, any other secular work, uh, name an author. I mean, we could talk about Plutarch, or we could talk about Homer, for instance. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we have a handful of manuscripts, if we're lucky. Compare that to thousands. So we have much more, statistically speaking, reason to believe that the ancient classical works that built Western civilization have been modified relative to the, to the New Testament manuscripts that have essentially composed the Bible that we read I mean, today. I, I went I to mean, law that's, school, that's, and we taught on the Socrat- they taught on the Socratic method, Socrates. And so we don't even have is. any writings about him, right? We, we, we think Socrates said what he said because of Pluto. Plato says that, right? It's not, I mean, so when you look at ancient classical writings, I mean, there's nothing in antiquities that, that it holds up to the gospel. But so, so Jay, I don't understand well, your context. And, and yeah. I want to, I want to, I wish I had that question in front of me again, Tyler, but the religion, I don't know, you said you're not religious. Well, good. Neither are we, obviously, because religious people uh, don't really like what we, what we say because. Well, he has the, his relationship with God. He's saying, I have a relationship with God. The God of the Bible? Is he talking about the Christian God? Which God would that be? He, he says, I don't need religion to have God, which is right, right? Like, well, I don't know where you, I, and Jay, I say this with respect, okay. and I'm not doing like with all due respect your kids, you know, <laughs> ugly as shit, like I said that first weekend. I wasn't, I'm not talking about it that way, so I'm saying this sincerely, Jay. I mean, I say this with respect. I don't know how anybody can hear us talk for five minutes and think that we're religious. I just don't know how you get there, but you're entitled to that opinion. But again, I hope you take me up on my offer. Um, I'll take you to lunch, my treat, and we can talk it out because it matters to me. And, 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 and I've done it before, 
but never over this way. So hopefully you'll be the first one to take me up on that, Jay. But at the same time, religion was not originally intended to be a bad word. No. And, re- and religion and Christianity at one time, I think it, it, was, it, was, a, it was a proud association. I mean, yeah. it simply means, uh, you know, the worship or adoration or devotion to a particular God. Uh, and, and so if you're saying you don't need the religion to believe in God, I would submit to you that you need to reconsider that term because the term by definition means devotion to or belief in a particular God. So by your statement, I, I would love to know, because it, you're, you're, it seems like you're attaching some negative connotations to the word religion. I probably don't blame you one bit. Well, yeah, today's but, definition, but right? I, I, yeah, but I'd like to go back. I, I'd you. like to understand uh, what's driving that negative opinion of religion. I probably wouldn't, wouldn't blame you one bit. Um, but if it's an evidence issue, if you think that the issue is that, that we're dealing with a text that isn't reliable, I assure you that is not the case. And that is the opinion of the vast, vast amount of New Testament scholarship today. Seth, as Christian, I'm going to read it, okay? As Christians living in today's world, we are surrounded by excuses for behaviors that are not biblical. Tolerance becomes a blind eye. The problem continues to be the misunderstanding that we should love those that live in sin, but not give in to their ways. The problem continues to be the misunderstanding that we should love those that live in sin. You know, that, I guess that's that phrase. I mean, Seth, do you mean love the sin, hate the sinner? I mean, it's love the sinner, hate the sin type deal. I mean, I guess that's what he's what he's what he's going for there. I mean, look, the word tolerance for years, and, and you want your phone back? Yeah. Um, the word tolerance for years was a bad word in the Christian circles. <clears throat> tolerance, tolerance, tolerance. Tolerance is the word that Jesus, and it's not the word, but it's the mindset that Jesus taught. Jesus tolerated the woman at the well. Jesus tolerated the disciples. These guys are three years walking with him, and they're still broken, lost SOBs. Even till the very end, they scattered like a bunch of weak asses, right? And he told them he was going. He told them everything. So Jesus tolerates us. He just doesn't condone. There's a difference. I tolerate my children's behavior or else I'd kick them out of the house or give them up for adoption. That'd be insane. Sure. My wife tolerates me sometimes. I, I never have to tolerate her because she's perfect. I hope she's listening. <laughs> but I'm teasing. But I mean, but, but so we, tolerance is, a, is, is not a bad word. For us to tolerate people, we should. How do we ever bring someone that has a sin pattern Someone that, that is far away from God, that does not stand apart because they're, they're living in the flesh. And Galatians 5 talks about the sins of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5 all the way down, 5. And so how do we do that if we don't tolerate so they can introduce them to Christ? So tolerance is a good word. And tolerance should be talked and preached more in the church, just not condoning Right, And we make that distinction when we talk. I think Jesus makes that distinction wonderfully, not just with his words, with his actions. I mean, these guys are broken. I mean, I get encouraged by the disciples. I really do, because their asses are nuts. And they're still, I mean, they saw the miracles. They walked with Christ. They heard the messaging. They were with him constantly for three years. And it's not like they were distracted by this stuff. I mean, they were with him. They weren't on their cell phones. They weren't, they weren't working. I mean, they were, they were in the ministry with him. And they were out there preaching. And he was sending them out, coming back. And I'm, just fa- I'm fascinated by the reality of that. So tolerance, Seth, I mean, we need more tolerance. We just don't condone behavior that's not uh, anointed by God or approved by God. But how we relate that, that's another story. That's, that's more in our approach. And how do we show God's love in a loving way, truthful way, without compromising the truth, but without pushing people away unnecessarily? That's a hard combination. You can't do it without Christ. And, and, and John 9 next week, I just want to just wrap it up here. I, I love the interaction. You'll, we're going to do some shows, guys that we're going to do nothing but Q&A. We're really, we're really kind of open for suggestions. We, we might have someone on, on the show one time and do an interview, 
and maybe someone that has an antagonistic point of view. So we can, so you can see it worked out real in real time. This kind of defense and just a respectful but professional, but also hopefully a logical uh, discussion about Christian worldview versus other worldviews. We'll do that. We'll do a Q and A sometimes. We have an we're audience. So we have we'll create an audience someday, but it's not going to be a Bill Maher fake audience where they're ah because we show them a little sign, laugh at our stupid jokes, nothing like that. We're just we're just we're just going to kind of grow and, and and go by God's guidance on this deal and see we, what happens. We, we've also thrown out a problem, and we don't want to just throw out problems. I mean, there are solutions to these things. So we don't, you know, I don't want to be the guy that, that says... So what's the solution as we wrap up? I think we have five minutes or four minutes. What's the solution to someone being a cafeteria Christian, whether it's a church setting, a church culture, where they're kind of embarrassed <clears throat> of, of, the, of our worldview, or it's an individual that may be at work or in their friendships or whatever, you know, they, they feel like they have to be in the closet. Not cafeteria, in the closet, closet Christian. Well, you know, we are to equip one another in the Word of God. We are to help each other understand what God is saying. When we read a passage, what is the message to us, right? Uh, the application uh, may be different than it was 2,000 years ago because it was a different culture mm. and etiquette was different, dynamics were different, uh, political forces were different, church leadership was different, yeah. relationships were different. So the specific application may be different, but the message is exactly the same. We should ask ourselves, what is God trying to say? Do you know what God is trying to say? Right? As we always say, you can't give what you don't have. So the church, I think, could do a much, much better job teaching people what the scripture is actually saying about key issues that are perplexing the culture right now. And we know what those issues are. I mean, turn on a freaking television, right? I mean, how do you walk away from watching any major news network, whether it's CNN or Fox News or One America News or MSNBC or CBS or ABC? How do you walk away after watching it for 30 minutes and not know the issues that are driving the narrative of the culture? Now, if that narrative is dividing people, Church. then that is, that is a wide open invitation to a follower of Jesus Christ. How do we bridge the gap? Hmm. I mean, how the hell do we do that? How do we insert ourselves in the middle of that morass and, and bring healing? So we, we have to be asking those questions. And in the church, it seems to me, I ought to sit and think about resources and time um, and, and effort to equip people. Yeah. Right? To run, to play some what if games yeah. and to say, hey, th this situation happened. This is tearing apart X and Y and Z community. H how can we help? Yes, I understand. We can help from if, if, it, if humanitarian needs are the issue. Sure. Absolutely. We need to respond there, right? Jesus always provided somebody with a sandwich before he came in with a sermon. So, <laughs> so we need to do that. But it's got to go beyond that. Now what? How do you think about this? If we're going to worship Jesus with our mind, right, what do we put in that mind? So we need to spend more time, effort, energy, and resources helping believers work through these scenarios that are ripping culture, the culture apart uh, in a practical way. We need to do that. That needs to be part of the church experience. I agree. We can't get people in for 15 minutes and send them on their way. Give them their little high, and then they're off to do exactly the same thing, only now they're even worse because they feel better about it because they gave Jesus their 15 minutes. Hmm. What the hell? So we're anesthetizing people. I don't know what that means. We'll look that I mean, up. it's an anesthetic. Okay, there you go. So it's, so it's basically a little Jesus Novocaine. Hmm. Well, that's that yeah, and now you can, drink certain, Now you right? can go out and be the exact <laughs> same way. There's not a damn change end to end.
I mean, nothing is transformed. The inner man hasn't been touched one damn bit. And so how have we impacted the culture? Look at the data. So there's things that we can do. And I say this again in the family and in love, in love. with conviction mm-hmm. because I live in the same culture as our brothers and, and sisters. It, and it I'm matters. concerned. It I'm matters. concerned about the world my kids are growing up in. Look, we have to engage in the mind logically. There's a logical, consistent viewpoint and advocacy for the Christian worldview. And we need to change our vernacular. And this is where I think a lot of people stumble. And quit saying let's practice what we preach because that means that we're going to preach something and then try to implement it. And I said it last week, let's, let's yeah. preach what we practice. That, that's how we change. Action. It's not okay to be the same. Something has to change in your life. So let's, let's preach what we already practice. And you can't practice something that you're not persuaded by. So we have to engage the mind and let people know that there's a logical, consistent reason why we're Christians. And so, Very again, guys, thanks for your... Jay, please, I hope you'll call me and reach out to me. I really mean that. And, and I really hope that you'll give us... You can private message me so we can uh, maybe get together with you. Next week, it's going to be a John 9 analysis. I really think you'll be blessed by it, the way that we dissect John 9, to hopefully give you a model of, of, of at least how to break down a passage and, and to really get deep in it. And it takes some time. And like George said, it's not for a 15 or 20 or a 30 minute. I mean, does this matter to you? I mean, it has, it has to have implications in your life. And John 9 is rich with a lot of topics. We try to handle as many as we can in the short time that we have. But have a blessed week. God bless you and your families, yes. and hopefully you'll tune in next week.